Okay, take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. I would encourage you, as the Lord directs, remember me in prayer uh, through this next week. I started working on a sermon uh, early last week. I worked on it most of the week. I got a little bit more than the introduction written. Uh, and I, My plans were to preach it this morning, but it just didn't work out that way. Uh, it's on, and the title of the message, I've had such a, a joy studying it. I'm going to get back to 2 Corinthians. It'll be the Sunday, uh, uh, the 31st. I'll be back. But Lord willing, next Sunday, I'm going to preach to you from Isaiah chapter 53, and I'm going to preach on this. This is a whale of a Sunday uh, Christmas <laughs> service, but it's the truth. I'm going to preach on it, please the Lord for bruising. I've entitled the message, The Pleasure of the Lord. So, I, have just, I have just been overjoyed as I've studied through it. I hope and I pray that I can get it accomplished. If not, I'm sure I'll get something else done for you for next Sunday. But you join us next week. I, I want to preach a message to you this morning that I have entitled simply, Our, and that's you and me, Our Offensive Gospel. Our Offensive Gospel gospel. You know, I never dreamed in my wildest imagination when I was a false preacher in a false church among false professors of religion. When I first heard the gospel and it came to me and the sweet sound of it declared an accomplished redemption, Christ's blood and his righteousness alone is the sinner's only hope. Pointed out to me clearly by God the Holy Spirit that there are no conditions Absolutely no conditions on me as a sinner in any way, at any time, to any degree. That Christ, by His obedience unto death, perfectly and completely and eternally satisfied the true and living God on my behalf. I could not envision why anybody who was a sinner wouldn't want to hear that, that message. How wrong I was offended over an accomplished redemption, angered by one who actually bore our sins in his body on the tree and put it away perfectly and completely and eternally. But see, here's the thing. For those who, who know and understand and love and believe God's gospel, that reality of how offensive this message is, the offensiveness of God's gospel is, to the natural mind, it's just a foregone conclusion. I, I know and understand that men and women who've spent their whole lives in religion doing what they thought was right, being kind and moral and compassionate and going to church and giving a tithe and doing their dead-level best to avoid every known sin and doing their dead-level best to do every possible good. I know and I fully understand when I tell them that all of that, none of that combined, all of it, take it all together, put it together, none of it equals righteousness. I understand why men and women are offended by that. I just know it. Paul said, tells us why. Because the carnal mind, enmity, not is enmity, it's enmity, bitter hatred, the carnal mind, the unregenerate mind, Bitter hatred against God, for it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. In other words, it thinks it can keep the law, but in reality, in seeking to keep the law, they've dishonored God. 
if they think that their law keeping makes a difference between life and death. He said this to those at Corinth, that the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. You hear that? They're the things of God, this gospel that we preach, believe, love, understand, declare, they're foolishness unto him, Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. I kind of shared this with the Sunday Bible class I this morning, but I'll share it again with you. I find it kind of interesting. And that, that Greek word is translated foolishness. You know, he says, for they, the gospel message is foolishness to the unregenerate natural mind. That word in the English is, we get our word moron from, moronic. And the meaning, when you look up the word, the meaning of the word moron, it means a foolish or stupid person. So Paul's telling us in this verse that I just read to you and quoted to you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, that the unregenerate sinner, to the unregenerate sinner, the gospel is moronic or it's stupid. It's foolish. And since we who believe in know and understand their view of the one true gospel, we also know and understand exactly what our Lord Jesus Christ told us through His apostles when He stated to us the world's view and treatment of us as His children called upon to preach this gospel. Our Lord said this, He says, If the world hate you, not because of the way you dress, not because of the way you wear your hair, not because of some foolish earthly things that you either tend to or don't tend to. He says, if the world hates you, you know that what? It hated me before it hated you. Why? Ask yourself this this morning. Why did they hate our Lord Jesus Christ? He was holiness incarnate. Listen, no person loved like Christ loved. No person was kind like our Lord Jesus Christ was kind. Nobody ever kept the law like our Lord Jesus Christ kept the law. He was Listen, our Lord from the cradle to the grave was perfect in thought, word, and deed throughout his entire life. And he did all of it not for himself. Why did he do all that? Wasn't required, it didn't, all of his obedience didn't make him holier. Didn't make God say, well, I'm pleased with him because he's kept the law that he himself wrote. What did he do it for? It was required of those whom he represented. Required of me. Think about it. What are you supposed to do? What's the requirement for you? Love God. Remember that young man came to our Lord Jesus Christ one time, tempting to trap him. And he said, Lord... Which is the great commandment? Our Lord responds, well, the first commandment is what? Love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is likened to it. Namely, what? Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Who's your neighbor? Somebody you like and love. No, they're included. Who did our Lord say our neighbors are? Who's included in your neighbor? Who are you supposed to love like yourself? 
Think about it. The person that would do you the greatest harm. He told us to pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you for righteousness. Now, how many of us have done that? Him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, what is it? James says it's sin. So every one of us are brought in guilty before the law of God. See, this situation of which our Paul wrote, it wasn't unique to him. Matter of fact, when you think about it, it's the present reality of all God's elect in, in every generation as they stand steadfast for the gospel. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, well, everybody I know believes the gospel. Do they? Do they? I feel like a broken record through the 37 years that I've preached the gospel, but those kind of thoughts, everybody I know believes the gospel. Those kind of thoughts by sincere, dedicated religious people demand that you know what we have to do? We have to make a distinction from God's word concerning the gospel. That's what's so important. See, we've got a definition problem to what we've got. The gospel, the true gospel, the gospel Paul called the gospel of God, what does it do? It concerns and it sets forth one particular truth. Just one, Kenny. What does it set forth? It sets forth His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called an apostle, separated unto what? The gospel of God, which He had promised before by His prophets in the Holy Scriptures. What's this gospel concerned? Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. How was he declared to be that? God raised him from the dead, the resurrection of the dead. By whom, through this person, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among the nations for his name's sake, among whom also... You are the called of Christ Jesus to all that be in Rome, beloved God, called saints. Called what? Called saints. Grace be to you and peace be multiplied from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel, folks, sets forth the righteousness of Christ alone as the sinner's only hope and cause of salvation. Paul said, so I... As much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you which are at Rome also. And then he says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why, Paul? For it, the gospel of Christ, is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first, everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. What makes it so powerful, Paul? For therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed. Nowhere else. Nowhere else is this righteousness revealed. It is not the best sermon you can preach is the one you live. You hear me? You can live as holy as any man or woman you've ever envisioned in your life. You cannot show the righteousness of God by your character and your conduct. 
It's impossible. God tells us to reveal where? In Christ. From faith, from this book, to faith, which Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 tells us is a gift of God as it's written, the righteous, the justified, those declared made righteous through Christ's blood, His righteousness alone, what do they do? They live by faith, not in them, but what? In this one, this gospel declares. The message of God's free grace founded exclusively on the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ is a message that's so offensive to the unregenerate. Well, that is a backdrop. I, I want us to turn to you, turn over back over to Galatians chapter five and look at verse eleven. I want to just look at one verse, and I want us this morning to consider the implications and the magnitude of Paul's words in this one simple verse. Look at verse eleven. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then. This is, this is the implication that we're going to end up with this morning. If he preaches that circumcision makes a difference between life and death, because that's what them Judaizers were implying. They were saying, except you be circumcised after the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Do you see that? What is that? That's conditional work salvation. It's salvation conditioned on what the sinner does. They do it in my generation as well. They condition it on faith or on repentance or on morality or on good works. You say, well, you don't care about morality or faith or good works. I care about all those things. But all of those things combined do not bring the sinner to God. <laughs> Can't, the, none of that can reconcile me to this God. God had to deal with this. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. He reconciled me, not me, Kenny. He says, if I preach circumcision, then is the offense of the cross ceased. Now think about that. The first thing I'd have you consider, I'm not going to do it, but go back and read the first ten verses of this chapter. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 through 10. And you'll see that these brethren had, were being, these Galatian believers who had at least outwardly professed to rest in the gospel that Paul had faithfully preached there. They were being told by these Judaizers who had crept in, like I said just a moment ago, unless you're circumcised after the law of Moses, you can't go to heaven. You can't be saved. And Paul wouldn't have any of it. He wouldn't tolerate that for a moment. Paul had preached God's gospel to these Galatians, declaring to them the absolute certainty of any sinner's salvation based exclusively on Christ's accomplished work of redemption with absolutely no conditions on the sinner in any way, shape, form, or fashion at any time. Look at verse 1 of that Galatians 5. He says to them, Stand fast. Therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. Free from what? Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free, hath made us free from the law of sin and death. What have we been made free from? From the law in its entirety. 
And be not entangled again with what? Notice what he calls the law. The yoke of bondage. And I th- that goes hand in hand with what our Lord Jesus Christ said. What did he say? Come to me all you labor and heavy laden. What will I do? I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. For my burden is easy. My yoke is easy. And what? My burden is light. Why? He carried it in its entirety. Look at verse 2. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised. Paul was circumcised. Huh? Christ shall profit you. What? Read it for yourself. Nothing. Look at verse 7. He warns them. You did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Some of them had succumbed to this. Some of them were on the verge, close to the verge, of submitting to circumcision is making a difference between life and death. He said, you, that ain't what you heard. Remember what, he, remember what he said at the beginning of Galatians? If I or an angel from heaven or any other man come unto you and preach any other gospel unto you, then that which I preached unto you, let him be what? Let him be anathema maranatha. Let him be given over to divine destruction. And he repeats that a second time. Why? These are life or death issues. But now these Judaizers, by their words and their accusations against Paul, were basically telling these people at Galatia who had received their gospel from Paul that in reality they're saying, you know, Paul's really speaking out of both sides of his mouth. In other words, they made allegations that Paul taught that circumcision was important, that it was essential, just like them. And I'd encourage you to go read about it in Acts chapter 16, verse 1 through 3. He baptized Timothy. I mean, he circumcised Timothy. Remember that story? That's what's recorded in Acts chapter 16, verse 1 through 3. And I can guarantee you that these Judaizers knew about it. And they said, see there, Paul circumcised that young man Timothy so he believes and teaches the same thing that we believe in too. But that wasn't the case. Paul didn't circumcise Timothy as a duty of law. That is to say, as an obedience required in order to make somebody righteous. Because Paul knew and he taught that the law, now get this, the law in its entirety, the whole mosaic economy, had been set aside by way of perfect fulfillment through Christ who is the end of the law. That's what he said in Romans chapter 10, verse 1, verse 4. For Christ is the end the law. He's the fulfill. He's the teleos. Remember when he said, it is finished, same word that's translated end in Romans chapter 10 verse 4. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to every man that believeth. Paul said this, be it known unto you therefore men and brethren that through this man is preached unto you. What's preached to you this morning? Forgiveness of sins. And you want to tell you the only person that wants forgiveness of sins? One who knows himself to be a sinner. Are you a sinner? Oh, I've sinned, but I hadn't sinned as bad as somebody else is. You're not a sinner. Huh? 
Paul said this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am what? How bad a sinner was Paul? He said he was chief. What were his sins? His sins were religious sins. Seeking to establish a righteous. Paul wasn't an immoral pervert. He wasn't out there living in adultery. He wasn't an active idolater, he thought. But he was an idolater when he was Saul of Tarsus. He was worshiping a God of his imagination, a God that he had been taught about, a God not set forth in the Scriptures until he met that God set forth in the Scriptures. And then everything about his message and his method changed. And by him all that believe are declared righteous, are justified from all things from which you could not be declared righteous by the law of Moses. Tell me you that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Do you not hear what it requires? That ought to send shockwaves down to your core. God demands perfection. Have you got it? I'm going to tell you what, if you're not as perfectly righteous and holy as God himself, you will not enter into glory. You say, that ain't what that book teaches. That's exactly what this book teaches. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Our Lord said, be ye therefore, how, how perfect, be ye therefore perfect, even as my Father which is in heaven is perfect. Are you there? Huh? You got it? What are you pointing to? Well, when I was seven years old, I made a profession of religion. That ain't righteousness. That ain't the holiness of God. But he still requires it. Matter of fact, he didn't just require it, he demands it. And anybody that comes up short of it will in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Our Lord said, except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the tribes and Pharisees, you will in no case enter into the kingdom of God. Well then, what, what, what is the big issue? Why, why is this message that we preach, is it that different from everybody else's message? Well, I challenge you to go listen. You'll listen. And you'll know, and I'll tell you what, I can promise you, if you're not one of his, you're, you're going to be offended by what I've got to say to you right now. Because, listen, if you're not one of his sheep, you can't hear his voice. You cannot bow to his truth. So I want to give you real quick two things, and I'll quit. And the first thing I want you to think about this morning, I want you to think of, me to think about this morning is when it comes to this thing of the offense of the cross, what is it? What is the offense of the cross? And then I'll close with this this morning. How can you remove that offense? So Here's the first thing. What is the offensive nature of this message we preach? What makes it so difficult? Well, here it is in its simplest terms. This gospel that we have preached from Grace Baptist Church for almost 36 years. I think
think that's right. Sally's not out here, so I can't look to her as the historian. Is it right, Cam? 36 years. 36 years we've preached this message. It preaches out. I've preached out by God's grace, pardon, peace, eternal salvation through Christ alone, his person and his work to sinners. Those who in their character, now get this, those who in their character are rebels. <laughs> They're rebels. Without one redeeming quality to recommend them to God. How dare you? Well, listen to this. What saith the Scriptures? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now listen to this language. Now to him that worketh not. You hear that? Him that worketh not is a reward reckoned of grace. No, but now to him that worketh, I'll cut it backward now. Now to him that worketh is a reward not reckoned of grace, but what's it reckoned of? It's a debt. Now this, get this right now. But to him that worketh not but believeth on him who justifies what kind of people? The ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. Well, Pastor, give me some examples of men like that. Adam, our father, in the garden, sinned against our God, hiding in the garden, afraid of God, fearful of his destiny, and our Lord, in the cool of the evening, he walks down in the garden and he calls him out. This man had sewed together fig leaves of righteousness to seek to cover the fact that he now realized that he was naked. He had no covering before this God. Before he didn't care. Now he cares immensely. Now, in a natural, unregenerate state, what does he do? He seeks to cover up what he has done. It's the same thing that's in us. We think that by doing, we can correct what we have not done. And so our Lord questions him. And our Lord himself, what does he do? He kills an innocent animal and makes clothes, a covering, an atonement for their sin. And covers them. What's another one? Noah, look at the ark. Abraham, what was Abraham? He was a good old boy seeking out the Lord. No, he wasn't. He was a stargazer in Ur of Chaldea. And God called him out, showed himself merciful and gracious. Jacob was a schemer. Saul of Tarsus was a hater of God and a hater of the church. And yet what God do? He showed mercy to them all. None of them deserved it. What does an unregenerate religious person hear when you hear this kind of a message declared? It's got no conditions on you. What do they think? If you're, if you're an unregenerate mind this morning, I know what you're thinking because I know what I thought when the first time I heard it. Well, if that's the case, there's no conditions. I can do whatever I want to do. He's saying we can live whatever way we want. Kind of like what they accused Paul of. Paul says, there, I falsely accused by men and women for this message. Let us do evil that good may come. Which Paul adds, whose damnation is just for saying that. 
Because what are they railing against? They're railing against the gospel. I could care less what goats think about the gospel. If you're sitting there this morning, you're thinking, well, this gives me liberty to do whatever I want to do. You're a goat trying to chew on sheep foods, what you are. And you can't get it. It's impossible. Those who know and feel and see themselves as sinners, folk, they find rest and peace and comfort for their weary souls in the same exact gospel message that the lost man perverts. What does this mean to you this morning? Coming to you, coming to me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. You want rest? I did. I, I was working as hard as I could, trying my dead level best to get there. And he set me free. And I found rest. And for the first time ever in my life, when I heard that message of a salvation full, free, and complete in Christ, I put my head on a pillow and I went to sleep thinking, if my Lord carries me home tonight, I'm safe and secure in Him. Because it did not, for the first time ever, I knew it did not depend on me. At all. Ever. Well, what's some examples of that? The woman caught in the act of adultery at the well. Now, they brought before our Lord, cast before our Lord. Remember her? Those men, you know, the law, Moses in the law says that this woman, what should happen to her? She should be stoned. And I tell you, that's absolutely true concerning the law. Problem is, who, should, who else should have been there? The man should have been there too if they were honoring the law. Our Lord knelt down, wrote on the ground, and people have made supposition about what he wrote. He wrote their names down or he wrote their sin down. I don't care what he wrote. Whatever he did, he didn't even acknowledge them. He stood up and he looked at them and he said, which of you is without sin? The one that's among you that's without sin, let him be the first one to cast a stone at her. And he knelt back down. They began to write again. And they being pierced in their hearts, they all went out one by one, departing, to where the only person that was standing there now is who? This woman who was guilty. And she knew she was guilty. And here's the thing. Nothing, they, they, didn't, have, they didn't have her in bonds. <laughs> they didn't have a yoke around her neck holding her there. What would have prevented this woman from just walking away? The Lord kept her there. And he stands up. He looks at her and he asks her one question. Woman, where are thine accusers? She looks around. She says, well, Lord, there are none. Oh, sweetest words ever said to a sinner. Neither do I accuse thee? <laughs> Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justified. Who is he that condemned? The only one that can condemn her was who? Him. Who is he that condemned? It's Christ that died. He died for her. He was buried for her. He was raised again for her. And what does he do for her and for all his elect? Never makes intercession for her. Always. 
Here's what I find so interesting about Paul's words, the way he used these words so carefully under inspiration of God the Holy Spirit. He said, Now, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. That word offense in the original is the Greek word. I think I, I'll try to pronounce it. It's scandalon is what it is. What does that sound like to you, scandalon? What does that sound like in the English? Scandal. And that's exactly where we get our English word from, the word scandal. And this word, this original Greek word, it means any impediment placed in the way which causes one to stumble or fall. Now, what is it? It's an impediment or an object put in a path that would cause the person that's walking on the path to fall down. And keep that in mind. Literally, literally, it means a trap stick. You know, you, you set a box up, you put a trap stick under it, and an animal that's unaware comes along to get the food out of the box, and when he walks by, what does he hit? He hits, hits the trap stick, and the trap closes on him. Three times in the New Testament, the same words used, and you know what it always refers to? the Lord Jesus Christ. As it's written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. Think about that. And whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Paul said, But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews. There's the word. A stumbling stone. A scandaling. And unto the Greeks foolishness. Peter used it as well. Wherefore also it is contained in the scriptures, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. He that believeth on him shall never be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe, precious. But unto you them which are disobedient. And by disobedient, it doesn't mean immorality and ungodliness. It means those who don't, don't follow his command to rest in Christ. The stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner and a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. See, the offensive nature of the message we preach is the declaration of Christ's person in his work is the only hope and cause of salvation. Totally excluding the sinner's character and their conduct. And this doctrine of Christ, it's a stumbling block and it's foolishness to the unregenerate sinner. And the reason it's that way is this. How, this is what goes on in an unregenerate's mind's, mind when they hear this thing. How in the world would one believe that a man who's moral, religious, dedicated and sincere, one who's kind, and charitable, one who gives his whole life to serve others, has no more claim on God than the most ungodly, immoral of sinners. How can that be? Yet, that's the fact of the gospel. And it's exactly what our Lord Jesus Christ declares. He says, Whither of them twain did the will of the Father, they said unto him, the first. Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, and listen to you, 
that the publicans and harlots, well, that had to be a blow to them, that the publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, preaching what? Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And you believed him not. But the publicans and harlots, what they do? They believed him. They believed him. And you, when you had seen it, didn't repent. That you might believe on him. Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, she made this statement concerning our Lord Jesus Christ. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things and he sent the rich away empty. One last thing. How do men remove the offense of the cross? How do they do that? All they have to do is make it conditional. That's all you have to do. What did they made a condition? Circumcision. And when you think about it, circumcision was a very small thing. Yet these Judaizers, what did they make it? They made it everything. Except you're circumcised after the law of Moses, you can't go to heaven. Easy to say when they'd been circumcised on the eighth day like our Lord Jesus Christ because of their Jewish religion. These Judaizers thought that circumcision meant everything when it came to salvation. And by doing so, you know what? They avoided persecution. Paul, on the other hand, was persecuted for the exact same reason. Because he excluded circumcision completely. By persecuting Paul, they avoided persecution. You say, well, I don't think that circumcision is a condition of salvation. Well, hold on. It goes much deeper than circumcision. If you place any conditions on the sinner, I mean any conditions, you remove the offense of the cross because you've removed Christ and his righteousness alone as the only ground, hope, and cause of salvation. Two more verses and I'll quit. Paul said this, But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom this world is crucified unto me and I am crucified unto the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision avails anything, nor uncircumcision avails anything, but what, what avails everything? A new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, would God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. On them, mercy and peace, and upon the Israel of God. All anybody has to do to remove the offense of the cross is to no longer preach the cross. That is to say, to leave off the doctrines of substitution and the sure and finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on behalf of his people. Paul said one more time, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a scandal on, a stumbling block. And unto the Greeks, what? Moronic stupidity, but unto them which are called. Called how? Called of God. Christ, 
the power of God and Christ the wisdom of God. You know, Christ promised us that if we consistently stand for and preach this gospel, they're going to hate us just like they hated him. But here's the thing. He said, blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. Not for yours, for the righteousness we declare. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because we declare, like old Bunyan said, one of the greatest miracles of all is that a righteousness that resides in heaven in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ can justify me, declare me righteous, a sinner on this earth. I hope and I pray the Lord bless that to your heart, mind, and understand. Let's stand together and be dismissed. May the Lord bless you and keep you until we see you next Sunday morning at 1030. Okay, 1030. Donald, if you would, dismiss.